So um, I, I'm, I'm guessing you guys noticed that uh, Pastor Brandon is not here this week. Um, Pastor Brandon is on vacation. So uh, today we have the privilege of having a, a guest preacher. Um, Pastor Bill Radkoff is here to um, deliver the message and to share the word. So please welcome uh, Pastor Bill. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. It's good to see you. Good to be with you this morning. I couldn't help but think when we were reading the scripture of Psalm 10, just how that's our world. Our world is, is kind of denying the fact that there is a God and, and saying, well, there's, there's no such a thing as God and, and we can do what we want. We'll be okay. And it's in that kind of world that we live, right? It's in that kind of world that we're trying to, to live out what God has called us to be and who he is. And, and, and the challenge is in the midst of the many voices that are out there, in the midst of the strong pressure that there is in every direction to not stray, to not let it affect us in a way that leads us in, a, in an, let's just say, ungodly direction. I'm reminded of, uh, I have a friend she was, you know, I used to be the youth pastor at uh, First Free, so I was working with the uh, Chinese young people, and so we had this young lady with us who came over from China. Uh, her dad left the family before she came here. Uh, I think she was like three or four or something. She came over here. She quickly was put in with a foster uh, family, and, uh, and then they came to our church. She came to our church. And uh, she was quickly uh, she, uh, able to be become a part of things. Uh, she's sort of uh, a very uh, effervescent, a very gregarious person. And, and uh, she, she learned to play the guitar. She was a part of our worship team. Uh, she was a part of our leadership team. Uh, and she, she embraced uh, fully the whole uh, gospel that we were, we were teaching. And... Uh, she graduated from high school. She went to Gordon College up in Boston. And in Gordon College, she uh, did well. She uh, met a, a man that she ultimately married. They were both a part of the uh, worship team at uh, Gordon College. They both, in their last year, they both took a discipleship intensive in the it was Gordon College, very select few people get to do this, and it's designed to help you grow in your faith and allow God to transform you and learn to be missional in your living, and, and you know embrace that fully. And then when they graduated from college, they both got good jobs, and then uh, they were a part of a church, and they were both worship leaders in this church. I mean, quickly, you know, being able to be influential people. She's Chinese, he's Italian, in his Italian family, Christian family, but also very legalistic, very, you know, certain rules you have to follow. And so as he's... Pressure, and so that pressure began to kind of be corrosive to his soul and, and difficult on their marriage because they didn't know what to do with this Chinese girl and she wasn't sure what to do with this Italian family, you know, the cultural differences. And so there was lots of tensions with that. And then things didn't go so well in the church that they were a part of. 
I'm not really privy to all the things that went happened there, but they had some significant things happen. They finally, they withdrew from that church, and they, they have some very significant church hurt. Don't you know there's a lot of people who have church hurt? There's a lot of young people who have significant church hurt. Maybe that's some of you. And then she got pregnant. And two years, or two years, <laughs> two months later, she had a miscarriage. And that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, especially for him. Began to withdraw, back away from this whole idea of, of church and God. Still a Christian. But you know, if, if Jesus is the, the God that my family has told me is, is, I'm not sure I want that. And if Jesus is the God that allows this miscarriage and all this church hurt to happen, I'm not sure that that's the, the, the God I want to follow. It. Stepping back. Stepping back. And the challenge in our world is how do we keep from stepping back when experiences and struggles and challenges come to us? And it seems to me that most of us come to Christ through some experience. Think back to when you embraced, you know, maybe for me, you know, I, I think I came to Christ when I was five, you know, a Christian home. And, and so... But it was still an experience that I had with my family, with my mom. Many of us come to Christ through an experience of, of desperation. And finally, at the end of the road, we say, oh, God, I need you. And we turn to him. But it's often through some kind of experience. And then for many of us, and especially for many of our young people, our only understanding of God, of Jesus, and how he works in our lives is through our experience with very little attending to the unchanging revelation of God through his word. And you know, as I do, that experience is not a very good indicator of things. So if you came in this morning feeling really low like a nobody, you're a nobody. If you came in today feeling great, you're a somebody. If you came in today and nobody of importance greeted you, you're probably not worth the time of day. If somebody greeted you that's really important in the church, huh, I guess I'm all right. Experience is like this, right? Emotionally, it's a roller coaster. And in today's world, <laughs> if you don't get enough likes or followings in your social media, who are you? experience in our world, one of the voices in our world, strong voice in our world, is that your feeling, how you feel, is what your reality is. How you feel is king. Your emotions are king. That's what you need to follow. That's a strong voice in our world. That leads us to challenges. That leads us to a lot of difficulties. So we want to look at what James has to say in regards to this and, and see how, how, can, how can James help us in a world where experience is like king. It's like everything. And see what he says. 
So uh, James is one of four Jameses mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, you know, we know that the James that's in the, one of the disciples of Jesus, uh, James, the brother of John, <laughs> that's not this James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. This is the younger brother of Jesus, but the oldest of the four younger brothers that he had. He had four younger brothers. He's, James is the oldest of the four. He likely had at least two sisters, maybe more, but we, it sounds like he has at least two sisters. And it seems like James, who knew Jesus when he was knee-high to a grasshopper, uh, just didn't quite see Jesus being this Messiah guy. Being God. Come, I, know, I know this guy. I live with him. I, I room with him in the same room. Come on. We go to the same, uh, we do the same, we live in the same house. He, he didn't buy this thing. But scholars believe that James actually was converted to believe that Jesus was God when, uh, after the resurrection, after the Holy Spirit came in, and then James realize that, whoa, this brother of mine is actually God, the Savior of the world. And so now James is writing to this young church. This young church is, uh, you know, scattered people around. It's, it's maybe 20 or 30, maybe, maybe 40 years in the making. So it's still a young church. They're wrestling with their ethic. They're wrestling with their theology. They're wrestling with how do we live in this world of pressures with this different worldview that comes because Jesus is God. It's a worldview that's different from all the other voices. And their voice, their, their world is filled with pressures. It's got the, the Roman people who, you know, they don't uh, they don't like uprisings. They want order, and they want to be in charge. And in those days, it was not a big deal for them to crucify hundreds, maybe thousands of people if that is what it took to quell an uprising. There was also the rich Jewish people, the landowners, who, uh, you know, they, they, they put their hope and their money and their power and their prestige. And they're trying to keep the Romans happy because if the Romans aren't happy, they can come in and take their land and, and desecrate them. So they don't want that. But they're also, they're also using the, the small landowners or former landowners who had their land taken from them. And, and, and now they have, they have to be employed. They're being employed by the rich people. And the rich landowners are, are not treating them well. They're treating them unjustly, taking advantage of them, and in some cases, according to some scholars, even killing the, their employees if they don't abide by what their desires are. So there's a lot of injustice. Not to mention there's the Essenes, you know, some of the, they're the proud boys of that day. You know, the, the real patriotic, you know, it's got to be this way and we're going to bring revolt. And as a result of those kinds of things, those kinds of revolts, it got, it got the Romans so upset that finally by 70 AD they brought their whole horde against Jerusalem and totally, uh, totally destroyed, desecrated the temple and broke down the walls, massacred thousands of Jewish people. It's a major deal. But it's all moving towards that direction. And I see And they're trying to figure out, how do I live in this world with these kinds of pressures, these voices, in a place where I'm just trying to protect myself and survive, and where revenge and anger can easily rise up. 
there's been time to especially a lot of the people in the church, because in the church, most of the rich people are not there. Their home is in their finances, their, their money, their power. But in the church, there are the people that are come to survive. So James is writing to this group. And he starts out, you know the book. James starts out in James chapter 1. He says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, right? Various struggles. What he's doing is he's, he's normalizing or wreck. You miss it, you deny it to your own peril, to your own disadvantage, to your own potential ruin, and certainly to your own potential for straying from the truth that you've embraced. There's another reality. So let's read it. We start. <laughs> it says in chapter 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Recognize that James, he's talking, he's talking, most of the book he's not doing this, but now he just kind of makes a little turn. He's talking to rich, to the rich people, to the upper crust people. They're likely not in the church. They're likely not there. But he is speaking to them so that he can give to the, young, the younger or the, the, the poorer people, those that are in the church, he can give to them their philosophy because he wants to say something about the ideology, the philosophy that the rich people have. And so he explains it. He says this. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. It isn't true at the moment, but he's projecting, he's saying, look at, look at what's coming to the rich because they put their hope in these other things, in, in money, in power. Your gold and your silver have rusted and the rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasures. Listen, folks, he's saying, the ideology of the rich is bankrupt. It's not good. It's going to lead to ruin and disaster. So his point is this. Do not let the, the, the ideology, the philosophy, the worldview of the rich, of these people that are, are acting unjustly, don't let the ideology of the world invade your thinking. Don't let it sink into you. That's a valuable message for us today. There are so many voices out there that can easily sink into our soul. Let's, let's just address some of them. Let's ask, does any of these fit our, our soul? For instance, how about the, the, the idea in our world that says this, you have to do you, or, you know, live your own truth. You've got to live your own truth. That's pretty strong out in our world. You've got to live your own truth. Whose truth is out there to live? Everybody's got their own way to live their truth. It's not a biblical idea. We don't have the time to go into all of these, but that's not a biblical idea. How about this one? I chuckle because I hear these. God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. That's an ideology from the world. I've heard it. God wants me to be happy. It's not biblical. I'm sorry to say, God, it's not biblical the way that they say this. 
God wants you to be happy. This is an excuse for, well, I'm, I'll be happy if I can get a different wife, so I'm going to go get a different wife. It's an excuse for doing what you want to do. It's not biblical. But we can easily let those things touch into our lives. How about this one? This, and all of these have a, a grain of truth. How about, and maybe you've used this, don't judge me. No, 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 don't, you can't judge me. The Bible says do not judge. That, as it's spoken like that, as it's used in that way, is not biblical. We don't have the time to go into it, but the Bible calls us to evaluate, to actually make judgments, righteous judgments. We don't have the ability to condemn. We're not supposed to condemn, but we need to make evaluations and judgments. But when people use this, which I've heard, it's used mostly to say, don't tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. You don't get to judge me. It's really a way to say, I get to do what I want to do. It's not biblical. But it sounds good. It sounds biblical. Matter of fact, there's passages in James that says, don't judge one another. But it's not biblical the way it's used in our world. See, part of the challenge becomes, how do we become discerning to the voices that are in our world They want to invade our thinking without us even knowing it? How about this one? I'm spiritual in my own way. Who's in charge? God says, this is how you are going to be spiritual. If you look in the Old Testament, there's an incredible <laughs> challenge to the people that want to worship God in their way. Some of them are dead because God says, no, no, I am holy. You will treat me as holy. It's my way. Well, we use these things. How about this? Oh, I hear this in the church, other places. You've got to love yourself. Doesn't the Bible say love others as you love yourself? Come on. So you've got to love yourself, right? That's an important point. It's not a biblical thing, as it said here. Why? Because the Bible assumes that we already love ourselves. That's our problem. That's the sin problem. We love ourselves so much that we're willing to be selfish. We're willing to put others off so we can get our own way. But, oh, no, no, you got to love yourself. Take good care of yourself. And there's, a tr there's truth to that. You know, you know we... But the way it's used in our world and it can easily bend into our lives and begin to use these as an excuse. So there's then, there's more things, but you know, we easily put our hope in other places. We put our hope in our career. We put our hope in relationships that this will bring me kind of joy and, and, and peace and satisfaction in my life. We put our hope in our 401k. This is going to take care of me. Uh, you know, instead, God's, God's yeah, God will take care of me. But my hope really is in my 401k or my retirement fund. Or this one. I've heard this one many times. you got to get a job that gives you good benefits. And, you know, I've heard that so many times. That the benefits is the, that's the gold standard you got to get good benefits because who knows what can happen. And you got to have some kind of insurance against all that. I'm not against benefits. 
But if that becomes your hope, that's, that's the world's, I mean, the world is very strong on that. The world, and, and I've talked to enough people in the church that that's a big deal in their lives. Where is God in the midst of this? No, no, benefits. That's what I need, benefits. But what's God saying? It's so easy for the ways of the world to kind of just invade our thinking without us knowing it. And James says, don't let that happen. So James is exposing some bad thinking. And here's part of the problem. I'll just give this to you as a thought. I call it soft pressure. There's a lot of soft pressure out there for us to embrace this ideology. Every movie you watch, every advertisement you see or listen to, every song you listen to, whether Christian or unchristian, every most employers, and certainly if you work in the school system, there is lots of voices and pressures to embrace different worldviews and ideologies that are not biblical. Every song has a worldview. The simplest way to think about it is, what does the song say the problem is, and what does the song say the solution is? What does the show say the problem is, what does the show say the solution is? Is the problem sin and the solution repentance and turning to God? Hmm. You rarely hear that or see that. Uh, uh, one one, uh, one s scholar that, uh, I forget his name, but you would know his name, but I can't remember it. He, 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 when his daughter watched, moved, watched TV, he would say to her, I'll give you a dollar every time you can recognize a, an unbiblical worldview in what you watch. He was training her to be discerning, not turning off the TV, training her to be discerning, to recognize when the world's thinking is, is tempting to be invading into her life. And so she would watch for it, and when she could recognize it and explain it to him, she would get a dollar. Worldviews, they matter. Just as an example, uh, this is sort of low-hanging fruit, but you know, you've heard of the woke ideology, of course, right? You've heard of, of uh, CRT, critical race theory, or critical theory, or critical justice theory. It's all the same. So what do they, it, 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 sort of as a blanket statement, what, what do they say is the problem? The problem is the oppressor, by the way, but that means mostly uh, white male people, right? It means the white, we're racist. I don't know where you stand with all this, but I'm just saying to you, their ideology, and it's a worldview, okay? Their ideology says that the problem in the world is that there's oppressors and the op Pressed. And the answer, the solution to that problem is revolution that tears down the oppressor. That, uh, that somehow, they don't know how yet, but somehow that's going to create a better opportunity for equal outcomes. There is a whole bucket load of problems biblically with that ideology because it's a worldview. But if we don't discern it, we embrace it. And there's churches embracing that ideology and it's in its tie god and ideology i just throw that out there you could disagree with me happy to talk with you i'm just saying there's ideologies out there there's thinking there's ways of thinking that are affecting us from the top down especially through universities and through uh 
you know, the learning places now into high schools and now even into uh, grade schools. Ideologies, worldviews that are so unbiblical, we need to discern and recognize and not let them invade our thinking. We'll come back. Wait, wait a minute. I don't know when I'm supposed to be done, but we'll be here a while. Uh, just kidding. But I, I'm reminded, you know, one of the things that I know that uh, preachers do, and I don't particularly like it, but I'm going to do it. Uh, preachers tend to like to use an extreme example to make their point. And I often think, well, that, you know, but most of us don't live in the extreme. But I want to make a point here that there is, that the ideologies out there are so close often to what we believe that they deceive us. We can easily fall into those places. And especially for our young people. So I have a letter here. This is not as extreme as we might think. Let me read this to you. The young woman writes this. I trusted these health care providers to take care of me. Years later, I realized that I had been lied to and misled in the worst possible way. Tragically, at age 14, I suffered from a sexual assault. At age 15, I was hospitalized for depression. This is a little bit sensitive material, so please be aware. By age 16, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and an eating disorder. I engaged in self-harm by cutting myself, which became so serious that I was taken to the emergency room. Starting when I was 16 years old and continuing into my teen and young adult years, doctors and counselors set me on a path of medicalized gender transition. They told me that changing my body to look like a boy's body would cure my mental health problems. They told me that injecting large amounts of testosterone into my female body would be good for me. They also encouraged me to undergo surgery to remove my healthy breasts. At the end of the road, this woman says, their care in the form of testosterone injections and breast surgery left me broken with extreme physical injuries and without my body parts. It did not cure my mental health problems and instead made them worse. My voice was permanently changed. I was no longer able to lift my voice and sing, which I used to love doing. I experienced severe pain in my shoulders, neck, and genital areas. I do not know if I will be able to conceive and give birth to a child. As a result of breast surgery, I have to live without my breasts, and I am unable <coughs> to nurse a child, should I be able to conceive one? I have pain in my chest where my breasts used to be. For us that are older, this seems like radical. This is like extreme. But for people that are younger, this is the pressure that they face all the time. The voices that are coming to them. And we need to we need to be discerning and aware of what are these voices. And for our young people, you know this, but this is for our young people. They don't know any better. They're just listening to the voices that they hear are as authorities in their lives. And so they're trying to follow those and are being lied to. There's a growing movement, actually, of people who have been mutilated 
that are now pushing back and saying, hey, we were lied to. This is not true. It doesn't work the way they said. So how do we deal with this? James goes on to say this. Behold, the, part of the pay of the laborers who moved who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath you have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter you have condemned and put to death the righteous man he does not resist you there's injustice you are experiencing James says you have been unjustly treated significantly but don't let the injustice of the world of the things that you've experienced don't let that those bad experiences knock you off your course don't let it cause you to stray from your course don't let it be like my friend who said wait a minute no I'm, I'm stepping back I don't like this no I'm gonna move in I'm gonna focus more on career and resume building and home buying uh, don't let it do that So you've been lied to. These are tragic things. People fear, experience some incredibly difficult and, and horrible, tragic things. But James says, no, don't let it, don't let the experience that you can't explain knock you off your course. So some of us have been abused by parents have experienced significant injustice at work, have discovered things that people have done to us that have been, maybe we've been scammed on the phone. Incredible injustices, unfair things that continue to kind of reverberate in our soul. And it causes us to, to easily slip into depression, or anger, or anxiety, uh, for some people even self-harm, because of the, the emotional trauma that remains there because of the injustice that has happened in our lives. And the corrosive effect of anger and anxiety and worry eats at our soul, and it makes it difficult for us to hear about God and his compassion because it's just, it's like a furnace in our soul that's just raging hot and somehow it has to be addressed. Some of us, it's not raging. I've discovered recently that I have had things in my life that have forever, forever, all my life, they've affected my relationships with other people. There wasn't raging, but there was anger that came from hurt in my, in my life. And it was affecting, is affecting my relationships. So what's the answer? What is James saying here? Let's read on. Verse 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too... Be patient. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming back. 
what he's really saying is step back. Not to stray, but to get a bigger picture. Get that panorama into your mind once again. Get the big picture of what's going on in our world. Because what you see right now in this moment, what you feel right now in this moment, what you're experiencing right now in this moment is not the only thing. There's a bigger picture going on. Do you know what that bigger picture is? It's the story of the Bible, and it's in four movements. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That's the big picture, the whole Bible. And if you don't know the whole Bible, if you don't know the big picture of the Bible, it's easy to get caught up in the one moment, in this moment here, and lose sight. I talked to one, one woman uh, some time ago about, we were talking about uh, uh, abortion and women's rights and, you know, what's, what's right. What, a Christian woman brought up in the church, in a Christian family. And her point was, well, you know... I'm not sure where you stand, but you'll see where I stand. Well, you know, women's rights and women's health is important. You know, there's a place for killing the baby because, you know, that's kind of where she was going. Our conversation was cut short. And I'm saying, listen. That's just looking at this issue, which is an important and significant issue of women's rights, women's health, and abortion. Those are three different issues. It's an important thing, but if you're just trying to make decisions based on this moment right here, where you are right now, you're not going to have perspective because you're trying to figure out what's the appropriate ethic, what's right and wrong right now in this moment. And there are complicated issues. Women's health. Women's rights. But what about the baby and its rights? So how do we work this out? Oh, it's hard. I get, so we've got to compromise here and there. But if you step back and get the biblical worldview, you recognize, wait a minute, first of all, God is the one who's creator of life. And he's the one that defines uh, how life will be. And you can't just redefine what God has defined. You have to stick with what he has determined. And by the way, God is bigger than your problem. So if you have an unwanted pregnancy, God is bigger than that. He can work good in that. If you step back, you have a whole different perspective. Now, there's issues related to this. I'm not trying to... Uh, I'm, we can talk about that too. Abortion. Big topic, right? But if you're just talking about it from this one moment and trying to figure out a good ethic from here, you'll never be able to do it. You'll just be all over the map. You've got to step back and say, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. How does my little story fit into the big story? Because God is coming back. He's going to make everything right. He started it, right? He's the creator. He defined life, purpose, meaning, gender, roles, all of these things. He, you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2. He defined those things. He's the creator. He's the one that, it, Colossians, Paul says, we are created what? For him. Not for you and me. We're created for him. So his agenda counts. It's what he wants that counts. And by the way, Hebrews tells us, oh, this is a God that loves us and cares about us. It, it, when you start with creation, it gives you a perspective on life. But if you have no God, like many in our world, then you've got to make it up the way you want. To step back. So there's creation. We know there's fall. Oh, by the way, many of us, even as Christians, I think, we don't 
we don't get the depravity part of the Bible, the sin part. You know, many of us think that well, we, we accept Christ, he forgives our sins, oh, we're good to go now. The problem is, just because he forgives our sins doesn't mean that we are now no longer depraved in our being. It means we have a new creation, and we have now the choice and the ability by God's Spirit to turn away from the flesh, but the flesh still is with us. I don't know where your body goes, there everything who you are goes too. The flesh is there too, fighting against you. The creation, there's the fall. Sin is an issue. We want to deal with that. Then most of the Bible is written so that, to, to see, this is God's activity, creating a nation through whom he's going to bring a Savior, a Messiah, Jesus, who will redeem us, who will bring us back, reconcile us back to the Father. But that's not all. That's not the end of the story. That's not the only thing that, that the cross does for us and the resurrection does for us. Because Jesus is also at work to restore us. He's going to ultimately restore. He's coming back. That's what James is saying. He's coming back. He's going to make a, a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, I wait for that. But in the meantime, he's still, he's working now to restore us to what he intended. He's untwisting the effects of sin in your life and my life. And he's using every circumstance. It's a big message from James. He's using every circumstance in your life, every challenge, every struggle, every injustice, everything that's going on in your life. He's using it, if you will let him, to untwist the effects of sin in your life. That's what he's doing. And when we step back, and recognize the unchanging story of God, His work, that helps us to a, recognize the voices of the enemy, the voices of the world, the, 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 the crazy thinking that's out there. The, it, it enables us to know how to kind of handle the, the injustices that we face. He doesn't, don't, we don't know what all the answers are, but we can say, hey, here's, here's a God that's doing something. He's bigger than this. He's bigger than me. I love, I love what, I heard, uh, what I heard one preacher say one time. You know, if you draw a circle, and you put a little dot in that circle, like a pencil, dot in that circle. And that dot represents the wisest guy, the smartest person in this world, whether it's Solomon or some uh, brainiac genius in our world. This is this, I mean, this, this little dot in this big circle. That represents what they know. This is so much more to know than even what the smartest person knows. And then you draw a triangle outside the circle. That's God. See, God not only knows everything in the circle, he knows everything outside the circle. He's so much bigger. He's got such a perspective. We're trying to make sense of the challenges and difficulties in our lives, in our world. But we don't have much perspective. But God has a big perspective. We can trust him in our lives. So let me draw near to the end here. So he's saying, listen, go back, come back. Basically, you know, one way to say it is come back to the Bible. Get back to the Bible. Keep reading the Bible. Get familiar with the story of God. 
Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God's at work. Remember this. This is an important piece. This is the unchanging nature of God and what he's doing in the midst of your world that keeps changing. It's up and down. Who knows what's right or wrong? But God, yeah, keep coming to God. The value of reading God's word, which is a bit of a premium these days, right? But then James says this. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Um, this is just a... This is an interesting moment in my life of recognizing something that's been in the Bible all along. In Psalm 77, this is what the psalmist looks like. It's Asaph says, I my voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord and in the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. When I remember God, then I am disturbed. When I remember God, I am disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit groans faint. You, he's talking to God, you have held my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I mean, I'm really, I'm really ticked at you, God. He's saying, I have considered the days of old, the years of long ago. I will remember my song in the night. I will meditate with my heart and my spirit ponders. Will the Lord reject forever? What's the matter with you, God? And will he never be favorable again? Has his loving kindness ceased forever? What, you've stopped loving us? Has his, promise, has his promises come to an end? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Or has he in his anger withdrawn his compassion? Then I said, in, it is in my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. I thought he was this, like my friend, but no, nah, he's changed. He's not, he's not loving like I thought, like I was told. God, was, but not complaining to someone else. He's coming to God with his questions. Do you know that when we don't process the pain and the hurt and the challenges in our lives, we just stuff them, try to distance ourselves from the emotions? They stay there. They fester. And like James is talking about, don't judge and complain. That's what happens. We judge, we complain, we do all sorts of things when we don't deal with the unanswered questions in our lives or the hurt or the pain in our lives. And then we're prone to strain. We're prone to, like my friend who didn't process well, just kind of step back. Well, if that's where you are, God, oh, I'm out of here. And the Bible is full of laments. Laments. It's, like, it's crying out to God, bringing your questions to God. It's coming to God, it, it, which is an act of faith. It's an act of saying, God, you listen, you care, you love me. So I'm going to come to you. I'm going to pour out my heart to you, as the psalmist said. Pour out my heart, my anger, all this. I'm going to process this stuff because I don't. Where were you when this happened? How come you let them mutilate my body? How come you didn't protect me from this abuse? How come you let that scam happen? Well, you could have stopped this. Why didn't you? It's really the problem of evil in the world, right? 
Where is God in the midst of the problem of, the, of evil in the world? Evil is happening. We can go on and on about the evil and say, where's the answers? And the interesting thing is that God doesn't answer all of those questions. He says, God, trust me, I'm bigger. I'm working. I'm coming soon. I'm going to, I'm going to bring about the justice in this world. More importantly, he says, I'm going to be with you in the midst of your suffering. By the way, that's the difference between our answer to the suffering of the world and the answer that the atheists have for the suffering in the world. Everybody has, every worldview has to figure this out. But our answer is, God says he'll be with me. I can't I figure out why he lets stuff happen. I don't know that. I'm not God. He's too big, big for me. But he promises to walk with me in the suffering and to work it out for good, to do something good in the midst of it, in my life, to untwist sin, maybe in the world around me, to reshape and shape things, whatever God's doing. But I can trust him, but I can also bring my lament. And if I don't bring my lament, it festers and it eats my soul up. But when I face it and honestly come to God with it, and then actually in the next section of the chapter, I say, come to people with it, come to one another, pray for one another. But if I don't process it, if I don't acknowledge it, if I don't look at it square in the face and just say, this is where I'm at, it will stay there. And this, you know, this bleeds into another message, so we'll end up here. But, you know, I've discovered in my life, I've had things that, I, what I did was, when, when hurt happened to me, it was sad. I felt hurt, and it turned into anger. But I'm a good Christian, right? I'm a good Christian. Ah, Christians don't get angry. You've got to forgive. So I forgive. But really what I was doing was not processing. I was just stuffing it and distancing myself from the emotion of anger and hurt. And that's been piled up for years. And here in the last weeks, I've had to start looking at that honestly, saying, wait a minute, what went on there? And God, where were you in the midst of that? And how do I look at this? And this is, what's, this is what I have felt and am, am feeling. Begin to look at it and lament the reality of it. Lament the, real, lament the reality of wasted years. Lament the reality of, of my sinfulness. Bring it to God, who's so gracious. This is what he says. This is what James says. And we'll end with Job here. We count these blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings with the Lord, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. You can bring your stuff to him. Look at Job. Job just laments all over the place. The, the, the three friends, of course, they're blaming and angry, but Job, he's angry too, but he's angry with God. And at one point he says, listen, God, I, I know you exist. I, I I got to worship you. It's acknowledging him, God. But he's coming to God in that kind of faith and saying, but you are mismanaging your universe. This is not right the way you're dealing with me. You know, this is, I don't know where you're, what your plan is, but this is wrong. He's talking to God. God receives it. He's listening to him. And then, of course, God comes with his own questions, doesn't answer all of Job's questions, but he receives the lament and in the end actually blesses Job who laments before God, who comes to God in faith, allows him to process the challenge that Job is going through. That's why God invites you and I, so that we don't stray, we don't start losing sight, we don't start listening to the other voices that say, well, no, no, you got to take revenge, you got to take things into your own hands, or do what you feel. No, come to me. 
Come to me, pour it out, look at it honestly. What are your questions? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? How come you're angry? And lament that to God. God, I wish you would have changed. I wish you had done something different. And open your heart and let God begin to minister to you as you remember the big story, as you remember that he's at work, as you remember he's coming back again. He, he, he's, this is not going past him. He hasn't just, oh, I forgot about Bill. Oh, shoot, I shouldn't have let that happen. No, he sees what's happening for you. And he's working this out for good. You can trust him. He loves you. Doesn't mean he's going to work it out for your comfort. Or just, I'm going to be with you in your misery, in the difficulties, but I'm going to bring healing into your soul as you bring it to me. And then as that happens, it helps <laughs> to avoid the potential of straying in a world that says, no, 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 there is no God. You've got to do what you want. Do it your way. Our young people need models of people who are honest before God who know how to lament, who remember the big story, who don't let the world's voices press in, who don't let bad and difficult experiences cause us to turn from him, but to turn to him in submission, in worship, in thanksgiving, in humility, and in trust that our great God, who loves you and I, knows you and I personally, is good and will do good in your life. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can call you Father. We thank you that you actually instruct us to call you Father and that you call us sons, beloved sons and daughters, and that there's no situation in our lives that's too difficult for you. So God, we thank you. Help us. Oh Lord, I pray for each of us, for those of us that are facing Unanswered questions that are turning in our soul. Help us, Lord, to look at them honestly, to bring them to you, to allow you to bring healing in our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that you're coming back, that even now you are working to untwist the effects of sin. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.